Who do you think you are? As you know, this has been used as the title to a very popular and long-running BBC television series in which celebrities have been invited to delve into their family background. The series, which was first broadcast in 2004, is now in its umpteenth edition and regularly receives more than six million viewers. And during the countless celebrities who have been reduced to tears when forced to confront the skeletons in their family cupboard. The usually ferocious Jeremy Paxman became very emotional after he discovered that his widowed great-great-great-grandmother Mary had survived grinding poverty in a Glasgow tenement while bringing up her nine children. Bill Oddie, the wildlife presenter, learned that he'd had an older sister that he knew nothing about, who had died only five days old of malnutrition, and that his mother had spent ten years in an institution after disappearing mysteriously from his life. When the actress Kim Cattrall investigated her roots in Liverpool, she discovered that her grandfather George Bow was a bigamist. So, of course, what often stands starts out as a rather rosy, tinted adventure into a long-rejected family history can often end up opening up a Pandora's box of secrets that individuals sometimes begin to wonder whether they would rather not know anything about. Yes, digging up the past can trigger rivals between present-day relatives or demolish idealized notions about one's family origins. And before you know it, you've discovered that great-grandfather and his wife were not actually married or that your great-great-grandfather actually earned his money by sending small children up chimneys. Well, this morning, we do not need to be afraid of our family tree because we know that our genealogical record goes back far more than that. In the first genealogical record in the Bible, in Genesis 5 and verse 1, the record states, This is the written record of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Yes, on the evidence of God's word, we know that our family tree, whatever else it might reveal, will take us all the way back, if we dig a little deeper, all the way back to the very first man and the first woman who were created in God's likeness. And neither are we frightened about the skeletons that we might find in our family tree, because the Bible, of course, doesn't try to hide any of them from our view. So when Matthew is giving us the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't shrink from making allusions to Judah and Tamar, to Boaz and Ruth, to Salmon and Rahab, to David and Bathsheba. There's no hiding that the line includes such infamous characters as Ahaz, Manasseh, and Josiah's brothers at the time of the Babylonian captivity. We know that as a son or daughter of the first Adam, there are lots of skeletons in our individual as well as our collective family tree. 
But the good news this morning is that God has offered us all a new family tree, a new identity, a new identity in history in the person of Christ, the second or the last Adam. Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 5 where he indicates that Adam was a type of Christ. There in Romans chapter 5 in verses 12 to 14 Paul discusses our situation and position in Adam. He says, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. And in verse 14 he says at the end as did Adam who was a pattern or a type of the one to come. But we need to ask the question what kind of type or similarity is there between Christ and Adam? And I think as you read through the following verses in verse 15 to 18 you will acknowledge that there is, in a sense, only one sense in which they are a similar. In other senses, they are opposites. But in the sense that Adam and Eve are similar, they are parallel. And it is this. What Adam did affected all subsequent humanity. Likewise, what Christ did affected all humankind that is true of only Adam and Christ it's not true of anybody else only Adam affected all mankind and only Christ affected all mankind and that's why in the New Testament Christ is called the second or the last Adam this is the way in which they are a parallel but as we read, we know that there are also opposites. There are opposites in that what they did and the consequences that they followed from what they did. Adam brought condemnation and death. Christ brought justification and life. Indeed, as, as the Apostle Paul reminds us here in Romans 5, because our family tree, if we delve deep enough, goes all the way back to the first Adam, we know that it brings a terrible harvest of sin and death. And if that was the end of the story, we would, in need, we would indeed need to be afraid and beware our family tree. But thanks be to God, we are here this morning to give praise that God has given us a new identity in Christ. He offers us a new family tree which ushers into justification and life. And you know there are two phrases that I'd like us just to reflect on before we go to the uh, service together. Two phrases that I think say something very beautiful to us today. The first is a phrase that Paul uses whenever he speaks of the obedience of Christ that justifies us. Paul calls it a gift. You notice it there in verse 15 and verse 16 and verse 17. 
verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. In verse 16, again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. In verse 17, at the end, the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. Why does Paul always use the term gift in relation to the new identity in Christ, but he never uses that word in relationship to our identity with the first Adam? I think it's because a free gift can always be rejected or received. In fact, a gift can never be enjoyed until you receive it. But it can be rejected and refused. But what we received in Adam was not a gift. We can't choose whether we inherit the death and sin that came from the first Adam. It's ours by nature. But we are not naturally in Christ. The second phrase I'd like you to notice is a phrase that Paul loves to apply to our situation in Christ. It's the, situ it's the words or phrase, much more. Again, you find it in verse 15 and verse 17. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? And verse 17, or if by the trespass of one man death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Much more. Why does Paul mean? What is he saying here? He's saying that since Adam's sin not only brought condemnation, it also brought death to reign as a conqueror. But the challenge he presents us with is that with our new identity in Christ, much more those who receive God's abundance provision of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What does it mean, much more will reign in life? Well, you see, Adam brought death. So if Christ simply restored to life, that would simply be the opposite. But Christ did much more than that. Much more. What Paul is saying here is that we will be much better off in Christ than we ever were in Adam. Let's catch a taste of this. In Romans 8 and verse 17, Paul tells us that in Christ we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Or in the King James Version it says joint heirs. Now I'm sure you know what a joint account is. Margaret and I have a joint account. I always joke to her that I pay in and she spends. <laughs> But a joint account means that both people have legal right to the account. And here in Romans, Paul tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ not only shares with us his life, 
but also his throne. And that is much more than we lost in Adam. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 6, John the Revelator tells us, Blessed and holy are those who have a part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Yeah, we shall not simply have eternal life, but we shall reign with him for how long? For a thousand years. And then retirement and a pension? No. Christ will move his throne from heaven to earth. And in Revelation 22 and verse 5, I read that when that happens, the redeemed will reign with him forever and ever. Wow. That is super abundance, isn't it? That is a much more than simply a restoration to life. Let's put it another way. You know, in Christ, in Adam, we were at best third-class citizens in God's universe. For I read that God was number one, that he created the angels, and then he made man a little lower than the angels. But when Christ redeems us, he doesn't simply take us back to our lost estate. That would be wonderful if he did. When Christ redeems us, he did much more than that. He took us up and seated us at his own right hand, sharing his throne with us. As Paul tells us in, the, in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 6, he made us to sit with him in heavenly places. So therefore, we will be much better off in Christ than we ever were in Adam. Wouldn't it be true to say, therefore, that anybody who rejects this gift it would really be a foolish person. So in Adam, we have a family tree which condemns us all to death. But thanks be to God that in Christ, the whole world stands justified to life. The only difference is that the latter is a gift which has to be received. You notice even back there in Romans 5 and verse 17, it the how much more goes, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? We have to remember it has to be received to be effective. But God says as we meet around his table this morning, I have rewritten your family history. I've given you a new family tree in Christ. I've liberated you from the second death and received you into eternal life and a share in my throne. I pray that as we gather together to remember the sacrifice of Christ, that we will indeed again reach out and receive that gift which he offers us in the person of his Son, for his name's honour and glory.
of me. Come 